All right, Romans chapter 12, love. We've been talking about love. You remember, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Faith keeps on happening. Hope keeps on happening. And love is the greatest of the three. Romans chapter 12. We learned last week in verses 9 and 10 that love should be genuine. Love is not to be fake. We are not to be fake lovers. We are not to be hypocritical. We are to, to genuinely love people. We are to genuinely be people of authentic love, the real thing, no pretense whatsoever. We abhor what is evil and we hold fast to what is good. And we talked about the importance that love hates sin, that there's no way in the world that you can have true, authentic love and be okay with sin, your sin or other people's sin. You can't be authentically loving and, and, and be okay with uh, mistakes evil that people make. And so there's got to be a clear distinction there. We are challenged, as we talked about last week, we are challenged by our society in that regard. Because one of the, I believe that one of the uh, methods, one of the strategies of Satan these days is, is to shove us to a place where we think that it's not okay to have convictions about right and wrong. That if you have convictions about right and wrong, then you are judgmental, you are cynical, and you don't love. That you can't be a believer and have those. And so we need to understand that the scripture says we, we, we abhor what is evil, we hold fast to what is good. So it is definitely possible for you to love someone and hate what they do because that's the response of love. Love is not going to sit still and idly, with a dawdling spirit, look at someone who's taking drugs and not intervene. We're just not going to do that. We're just not going to see someone making a real bad life choice and sit back and allow it to happen. That's not love. We get involved. We get active. It gets messy. We may be persecuted. We may be slandered. We may be rejected. We may lose a friend. We may lose the relationship of family members. But it's very important that we have that kind of love that's willing to get involved and we're not going to allow evil to happen. And then he says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly, brotherly affection. I like that. Love one another with brotherly affection, that close family affection that we have that, that that's how we need to love each other. We talked about that in family from the same womb is what this word means here and in the brotherly aspect of it, same wound with great differences. And, and I heard two or three people leave Sunday and let me know, you explained how your granddaughters are very different. Truth is our family's very different in that regard too. Same womb, same mom and dad, same situation, same circumstances, same environment, but very, very different people. We are to love people who are different. We love people who are different. You need to understand that. Don't, don't shy away from people that are different than you are. Don't shy away. If they look different, they sound different. They have a different language, a different culture, a different skin color, whatever it may be. Genuine love loves people who are different. And then we are to outdo one another in showing honor. And, and that means there's a competitive spirit in the body of Christ about showing honor to one another. So 
from Ronald Reagan's uh, motto, you know, we can all get ahead if you recognize it doesn't matter who gets uh, the notice in a situation. So that's what we do. We try to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, on to the next verses we're going to have today in verses 11, 12, and verse 13. The weatherman said it's going to rain. Y'all believe him? If it rains four inches this week, if it rains four inches, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to predict it. If it rains four inches all over Parker County, by Friday, the grass is going to start turning green. You can count on it. I know that's true. Check me out on that. And here's a reminder for you. When that grass, if it, if it does indeed rain four inches this week, all right, and the sun comes out just a little bit, that grass is going to start turning green, and you're going to go, man, that preacher's smart. How did he know that? He must really have a real direct line with God, right? How does he know that that, he just knows. Just check about it. If it rains four inches, it's going to rain. And, and here's the reminder for you. Water plus sunshine plus grass equals life. And, and rain, if it falls, is just like love. Ah, man, that's the new baby, huh? I'm sorry, all the way from Romania. Hungary, eh, same thing, you didn't have to correct me. <laughs> so Michael and Julie adopted this little precious baby from Hungary, and you just got back in town. Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't do anything else but say that. Very good. Sleep at night good? She, sp she speak a different language? No? She have teeth and everything? And... All right. Just like us? Don't know I've ever met a baby from Hungary divorce, so we'll find one. What was I talking about? Love? What was love doing? If it, if it rains, then that rain, that rain is like love. And it produces life. Love is the greatest of all, right? Love produces life. Love produces life. You'll try that. If you'll just love. What am I going to do in this real difficult situation? You're going to love. How do I handle a difficult family member? You love. How do I deal with a difficult boss? You love. See if that love produces life or not. And so a reminder, Friday when you're driving the road, if it has rained, you're going to go, wow, life is coming. We've got green Things are looking better. You're going to feel better. Rain and love are very close, right? That's what I want you to remember today, all right? So how's the love brewing? The question for you today. Verse 11, and that's an act of love, isn't it? Adoption's an act of love. You know, God so loved us that he gave us his only son. Salvation is based on love. That's life producing. Salvation is the giving of spiritual life. 
Love made that happen. And not only does love make salvation happen, but love makes it so we stay saved. We are secure in that. People ask me, how in the world can you believe in the security of belief? And I said, his love. Do I deserve to be saved? No. I don't deserve to be saved. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. And not only that, I don't deserve to be saved, to keep on being saved, and to stay saved. I have not deserved the right to have the assurance that when I die, I'm going to heaven because I am no account. But his love, his love, he adopted me. He took me in. He chose me. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Friends, that's hellfire and damnation. Brother Lee, you hadn't preached one of those hellfire and damnation sermons in a while. Well, here you go. I think this is hellfire and damnation. Do not be slothful in zeal. Love says do not be lazy. Love does not lollygag. Love does not dawdle. It's not a dawdler. Love is not dawdling. Love is not lagging. Love is not shilly-shally. Yeah, I looked at the dictionary this week. <laughs> I like that one. I've always understood lollygag to mean lazy, and I always understood dawdle from uh, uh, Lonesome Dove with the, the dawdling bartender when he slammed his head against the, the deal because he was making fun of them old rangers being dirty in there in his fine saloon. And I've always knew Doddle. I said, that's a dawdling young man right there. That's a dawdling guy. I've watched football games in my mind when I see someone get lazy on a play, go, he's a dawdler. That's what I would tell him if I was a coach. I would go, quit dawdling. Quit dawdling around here. You're a lollygagger. You're lagging. Now I will say, because I just learned it this week, don't shilly-shally. At work this week, if someone's dogging around, dawdling around, say, quit shilly-shallering. So here's the deal. Love is not lazy. That's what the word of the Lord says. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So you have a negative and the positive. He tells us not what to do. Do not be lazy. And then he tells us what to do. He says, be fervent in spirit. Love is boiling in intensity. So the fervency there is talking about boiling water. That's what it means. You need to be boiling in intensity with love for Jesus and for other people. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Now you see why I think this scripture is hellfire and damnation. Holy cow. Every single day, every single moment, in all weathers, in all circumstances, in all situations, as God's people, we are not to be lazy in love, and we are to be boiling in spirit. We are to be boiling in our love. And, and you know what boiling water does? It? it spills over. It boils up. There's energy. There's life. And, and that needs to be our love. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves in verse 11 as you're reading through this and the Holy Spirit is being talking to you, Lord, am I lazy? Well, how would you answer that? How would you look at that? How would you observe that? How would you even question that? Am I lazy? Am I lazy? Am I boiling in fervency? Well, do you put more effort 
into your job than you do your Christian life? Do you put more effort into making money than you do serving Jesus? Do you put more effort into your favorite hobby than you do your Christian experience? That's how you answer that, isn't it? You take a look at that. You observe it. Is church the first thing off your list? Is it the first thing you mark off that's not part of your life anymore? That's not boiling in fervency. That's being lazy. That's dawdling. That's shilly-shally. That's lollygagging. So that's how you ask yourself this. I read in the book this week, and I, I hope it's true because it's really cool. A communist told a Christian, if I believe what you believe, I would crawl over a field of broken glass to make sure everyone heard the news. That's what the communist said. Communists, I guess, believed in his communism. If I believe what you believe, I would crawl over a field of broken glass to make sure everyone heard the news. Now, if you're going to crawl over broken glass to be sure everyone hears the news, that's definitely not lazy, and that's definitely boiling in intensity. Boiling in intensity. So, love doesn't sit still. Love boils over. Now, verse 11 is not talking about jumping the aisle, singing louder than anybody else, saying hallelujahs and doing all those kind of things and being outwardly expressive. Surely that's part of boiling. That's part of not being lazy. But it's 24-7, seven days a week. There's just this ongoing craving to please God, to serve at his pleasure. So love is not lazy, and love is a burning pot of water in your heart. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. My first thought when I look at verse 12 is that love is not weak. Love is tough. Love is strong. Love is powerful. Love anchors people in regardless of how difficult things are. We are to rejoice in hope. That's a choice that we make. Joy is a choice. Choosing to rejoice is a choice we make. We rejoice and happen. When difficult times come, when the circumstances turn upside down on you, then those who are tough in Christ and have that love, they're going to rejoice and hope. They're going to be patient in tribulation. It's hard to be patient in tribulation, isn't it? It's hard to sit still. It's hard to wait. It's hard to just wait on the Lord to bring about what only he can do. But that's what we are called on to do. And we are to be constant in prayer. So love is not weak. Love is strong. And as Christian people who love, we are to grow into strong, tough people. Tough people. For about 40 years, Raymond Edmond was the president of Wheaton College, and he often told the students this, and I think it fits this verse, chin up and knees down. Chin up and knees down. Chin up. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Chin up. Rejoice in tribulation. Rejoice in conflict. Rejoice in problems. Rejoice in hope. Get your chin up. Be patient in tribulation. Get your chin up and pray constantly. Pray with all your heart, knees down. So 
Put that in your mind a little bit. When you go through a difficult time this week, chin up, knees down. Chin up, knees down. I'm going to rejoice in hope. I'm going to be patient in tribulation, and I'm going to constantly pray. Chin up and knees down. Verse 13, love must be generous. Love is generous. What would love do? Well, verse 13 tells us, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of other believers in Christ who fall on hard times. That's what we do. That's what love does. And so if you wonder, what would love do when love hears about a need among the brothers and sisters in Christ, it contributes to the needs of the saints. Financially, for sure. It means open the wallet. It means that love is not stingy or selfish, but it also means that we're going to pitch in and do whatever is required to help our brothers and sisters. That's what love does. There's no other way, way around that. I don't know any other way that you can describe what verse 13 has to say, but contribute to the needs of the saints. So open your pocketbook, share with others that have needs, and perhaps that annual giving report that you might get at the end of the year from your church, that is a pretty good indicator of love, pretty good measure stick of love. Hard to measure love, hard to measure it. You don't have a beginning spot. You don't have a benchmark to know where to start. It's a hard thing each year. But you and I in Christ, with the Holy Spirit in us, we are to grow in wanting to give, wanting to help, wanting to make a difference around us. And so it's an important statement about our soul, our giving is. So we love must be generous. Love cares more about people than it does money. Love cares more about people than it does money. I was just wondering this, this morning when, when Andy Bob made his wonderful announcements this morning for us. He said that we're having a burger bash on the 28th of August, right? We're going to have all the fixings. You bring a dessert. Would it be love if we put someone at the front door of the gym and if your family doesn't have a dessert, we say you can't come in and eat. Is that love? No. So if you show up without a dessert, we're going to let you eat. We want you to eat. Fact is, if everybody makes a dessert, that's way too much sugar in that place. You think the soup Nazi love people or soup? No soup for you. <laughs> you didn't act right. You didn't spend your money right. You didn't talk right. You didn't order right. No soup for you. Did he love people or soup? What would love do? Anyone? Do you know who the soup Nazi was? See, there's a show called Seinfeld. <laughs> and there was one episode with a soup Nazi. And he was particular about a soup. He loved soup more than people. So love... Love loves people, not money. Love loves people, not soup. Love loves people, not dessert. I just thought about that when he made the announcement. 13B, have you heard the word xenophobe lately? Very interesting. Trump is a xenophobe. Heard that a lot when he was present here a lot now. He's a xenophobe. He hates foreigners. He's a racist. He's a nationalist. 
hear that a lot on the news when, when Trump would say anything. If you would say the China virus, you're a xenophobe, right? There are a lot of that has been used a lot. Interesting about the word xena is the same word here, and seek to show hospitality. The word hospitality in the Greek, believe it or not, is actually philos xenia. That's where it comes from. Now, I know none of the reporters know that. I know that. They said, come talk with me, and I will help them understand how that works. Xenophobe means that you're against all foreigners. And hospitality in verse 13 means that you love foreigners. Now, in, in, in the world here that Paul is speaking to, they didn't have a Holiday Inn Express everywhere. They didn't have Hilton's. They didn't have, you know, Runaway Bay Suites or whatever they're called these days. People stayed with people. Matter of fact, there was a few hotel-type situations, and uh, mostly you didn't want to stay there. It's pretty rough, pretty criminal activities took place in those kind of happens during Paul's day and during the day of Jesus. And so travelers would stay with people. And so they understood what it would mean to love foreigners, to love strangers, because they would pass by. It'd be at night. They'd be hungry. They'd need some water. And you'd take them in because that's the thing to do. That's what believers do. That's the way Paul traveled. That's the way the missionaries went. That's the way Christians went. And it also was an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with people. And so, hospitality is the word for xena, xenia. Very interesting, isn't it? Hospitality shows love to strangers and foreigners. That's what love does. Now, what would love do? What would love do to the border crisis that we have now? I'm sure you've had some conversations close to that. Which side is the most Christian side? You've got the Republicans say, close the border, right? You've got the Democrats, obviously, not by what is being said, but what they're doing, they say, open the border. All right, what would love do? Which side is most Christian? Now, it's interesting to me the difference in words these days and what's going on, but, but you're no longer hearing what is the Christian thing to do because that's xenophobic. You can't, you can't, because when you use the word Christian, then you're hating all the other faiths, right? So you can't do that. But so the word that's being used today is the word decent. What is the decent thing to do? What is a thing of values? What is the way that we should, te we, we should conduct ourselves along the border when it comes to the Christian life? Open border or closed border? What's the Christian thing to do? Well, here's some things to consider. Here's the things to look at. What would love do? Love considers the circumstances, policies put people in. That's what love does. Love considers the circumstances. What, what kind of situation would a border wall put people in? What kind of situation would an open border put people in? Those are some real good questions to ask. That's what love would do. Is what we're doing the best way to show love? That's a, that's a difficult question. Love thinks big picture. Love thinks big picture. 
Is what we're doing now the best way to help people? That's what love would do. Is what we're not doing now the best way to love people? You think big picture. Love looks beyond feelings in a situation. If, you know, usually feelings are one-sided. And, and this, this is a challenge for us sometimes in loving the strangers and the foreigners, to love hospitality-wise, right? Sometimes if you love in a certain way so you feel better about yourself, you need to really question what you're doing. We go on short missionary trips. We do a lot of short-term missionary trips. We need to be really careful. We need to be really careful how we conduct ourselves. We need to be really careful what we do. We need to be careful that we go over there and we get really emotional about a need that's over there and we do something that's not in the long-term interest of the people. Happens a lot. We also need to not make it a self-photo trip. Well, you call it a selfie that's really important. We don't use people. We don't manipulate situations. That's not what love does. Love looks beyond feelings in a situation. Love is always holding out to share the gospel. That's important. It, it, is, it is not love to help people, clothe people, educate people, feed people, and not share the gospel with them. It's not at all. It's not love. It's not the love of God. Love looks beyond feelings in a situation. So check how you feel. Check how it makes you feel. Check, check if it makes you feel fuzzy. Is it really what needs to happen? Because it may not be. Love is always about fairness. Fairness. Love is about injustice. No question about this. Is our present situation fair? To everyone? Is it fair to the American people? Is it fair to our laws? Is it fair to, to the, the uh, immigrants trying to come in? Is it fair? Is it fair that, they, that we let them know that come on over here, it's so much better here? Is that fair? Well, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. You see, love should be more than words. After all, love is a verb. And so when people say, we're doing this because it's a decent thing to do, I question that when they are not willing to get their hands dirty and they're not willing to get active in the situation. Same in the body of Christ. Oftentimes you have people vote on us doing something and they're not going to get involved. They really shouldn't vote because that's not love. Love says that's a good idea and they get dirty with it. They get their hands all muddied up. Love is willing to get hands dirty helping other people. So what would love do about this border? I think you can apply that to other conflicts in your life. What would love do? What would love do? What would love do? You want to hear my view? I'm going to give it to you anyway. If everyone, if everyone would be part of whatever it took to help all the hurting people in the world, the border would be a secondary issue. But you know what? That's not the way it is. So I think that we're doing more harm with open borders than we had closed borders. I really believe that. Now, I personally didn't want the wall, but I understood the necessity of the wall. 
I also have driven through El Paso. There's no way El Paso can be without a wall. So love looks at the circumstances, policies put people in. I think it's absolutely horrible, horrendous to have families walking all that way or however long they walked and getting up here and, and coming in. They're getting the cartels involved. They're slaves. They're, they're sex trafficked. I think love looks at that and goes, wait a minute. It feels good to help at the moment, but this is hurting people. And so that's how I come down on that. Ideally, open borders. Yes. But my goodness, their side and our side are not willing to do whatever it took for that to happen. So we've got to back up and we've got to think about what's the best way to love them. And for me, it means you need to go through the process to be part of our country. You need to go through the process. Our, our country is not fair with immigration. It's not fair. It's not fair with people becoming a citizen here. It's not fair when you can just walk across the border. We have a friend. My mother has a friend. She married uh, an Air Force chaplain. He's a major in the Air Force. He's been in the Air Force about 25 years or so, 20 years like that. She's from Denmark. She can't get her citizenship. She can't through, jump through all the holes. He's a, he's, a, he's a major in the United States Air Force, and he can't get his, she can't get his, his, her citizenship. Amy and I sat next to a guy, a Kurd, and, and he was going uh, to London for vacation. He said, y'all Americans? Yes. Oh, good. And he said, uh, I wanted to go to America this vacation. I've always wanted to go to America and see it. And I said, well, why don't you go? He goes, I can't get a visa. He said, I've tried and tried and tried to get a visa. I, I've written my embassy. I've written the, the United States embassy. I've been to the United States embassy in, in Iraq. I just can't get in. They won't let me in. He said, they think I want to live there. He said, I don't want to live there. I've got a good business. I've got my family. He said, I'm a Kurd. I'm not an Iraqi. I'm a Kurd. We're, we're no man's land. I'm an Iraqi citizen, but they won't let me in. He said, all I want to do is see Las Vegas. All I want to do is see New York. I don't want to live there. I love where I live. And I said, you mean to tell me you can't get a visa to come visit? He said, no. Whoa. That, that fellow ought to be able to come in. He looked normal enough. I don't know what would be the deal with him. Evelyn, you've heard Amy talk about her. Do you know that, that we can't get a visa for Evelyn to come visit here? She's from the wrong country. She's from Africa. She can't get in here. But I told her, I said, what we need to do is fly you to Acuna and you just walk across. That's not fair. That's not what love does. That's not fair. When I was, got off the plane, we come back to Uganda today, I was standing in the, the, the passport line and I see all the people with non-American passports lining up, a whole bunch of them, and I yelled out, what y'all need to do is just go down the border and let you in. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> but wouldn't that be cool? I may not be here today if I'd have done that. <laughs> but love is fair. Love is fair. Love is fair. So when the Republican stands up and says, the right thing to do, the Christian thing to do is this, Ask yourself the question, does he really even understand what love is? 
When the Democrat stands up and says, this is a decent thing to do. This is what love is. Do you really even understand what love is? Christians, we need to live beyond what the understanding of love is in this world. And we are to be really, really different. So what would love do? Love considers the circumstances. Love thinks big picture. Love looks beyond feelings. Love is always about fairness. Love should be more about action than words. And love is willing to get your hands dirty helping other people. Love loves strangers and foreigners. Love is generous to believers in need. Love is strong. It is not weak. And love is not lazy. It does not lollygag. It does not dawdle. It is not lagging. And it is not one little bit shilly-shally. Father, we pray that you'd help us to apply these scriptures to our lives, that we would learn to really be what it, the picture of love in this world. And may we rise above and be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forth.